turn in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles 21. 1 Chronicles 21, your Bibles, your apps, whatever it is. This is a pivotal chapter in Israel's, as a nation, in their history, in David's life, and actually will have repercussions throughout all of time. We'll get back to that according to Revelation 19. But let's pray. Let's pray over this. Oh, Father, grab your Bibles if you have it or your apps, whatever. Lord, we thank you for your word, eternal, infallible, gracious, merciful. We thank you, Lord, for your word that brings life. Lord, we thank you that the gospel brings life from, from death to life. Lord, let our life rise up and live in your word. Lord, every promise every encouragement, every conviction. Lord, let our life come up and be a life that lives in your word. Oh, what a blessed life. Oh, what a happy life. Oh, what a life of confidence, peace, and joy. Thank you for that, Lord. Now today, let your word go into us, Lord, and us into your word. In the name above all names we pray, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Oh, man, I was reading this week, and I saw these things I've never seen before. 1 Corinthians 21, we're going to read 18 to 28, but i got to catch you up, because last week was, uh, excuse me, Chronicles, 1 Chronicles, we did the first part, and we left King David in a pickle. I mean, a serious pickle. What does that even mean? I had to look it up, because I said, man, this is a pickle he's in. Well, what does that mean? Pickle comes from a uh, a Dutch or low German word, pakel, which means to be stuck in something bad. You know how they pickle cucumbers, right? A bunch of vinegar, some spices. You ever just drank a little vinegar? Wow, I clean my floors with that stuff. It's bad. So the environment to be in a pickle, you don't want to be in that stuff. In vinegar and in a few other spices is not the environment you want to be in. The world's got a lot of pickles. It'll put you in an environment you don't want to be in. David, King David, has found himself by his own sin in a pickle, in an environment he does not want to be in, but he has God. And God not only will change the environment supernaturally, God will use that mess for unbelievable glory and unbelievable praise, which I didn't even realize until study this week. So let's catch you all up. King David's at the end of his life. He's got a lot of responsibilities, he's got a lot of stuff. Kingdoms have grown, families, all these things. Young Solomon's going to be the king, but he gets a little pride and vainglory in his heart, and he thinks he has to take care of Israel. i got to make sure this thing's okay after I'm gone. And that's some vainglory, because Israel is not David's. Israel is one and only one. Israel is God's, right? You're not mine, you're God's. You're not this, you're God's. No one has claims on you exclusively, you are God's. And, is, and David thinks, well, I'm going to number these people. I'm going to find out everything we've got in case I have to fight battles or Solomon does or whatever. And it's a, a prideful thing. In fact, the Bible says it was satanic that in verse 1 it says, Satan came and tempted him to number Israel. And he gets himself into a huge mess, even though his advisor said, don't do this. Don't do this. 
He gets himself into a huge mess. Nine months, they figure out how many people they got. They get there, they say, this is how big the army is. We got over a million people, all these things. And as soon as the word comes out of Joab's mouth, David goes, oh, what have I done? The fear of God falls on him. He's got a prophet friend named Gad. Gad comes in with the word of the Lord and says, you got three choices. There's going to be three years of famine. You get to choose. There's going to be three months of you losing against your enemies, or there's going to be three days of a plague. You got to choose. He falls on his knees and said, oh, the famine, I'm king. I could get around that one. The, the, three, the three months of losing against my enemies, I'm king, and I got 12,000 guards on my side. I could skirt that one. The out, out, outskirts of Israel will die, but I'll be okay on that one. And here we see the man after God's own heart. He says, I, I'm going to, quote, throw myself, my, I'm going to throw myself on the mercy of God and take three days of plague because I'm going to get in the same boat as everyone else in Israel even though I'm king. This is on me. I messed it up. It's my fault. I'm going to get in the same boat. Solomon could die, for all I know, in this plague. And three days of plague come in, 70,000 people die. And an angel is seen at Jerusalem, at the capital city. David throws himself on the ground in sackcloth and ashes, and we pick it up with Gad coming back in in 1 Chronicles 21.18. Here we go. Therefore, the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. So David went up at the word of God, which he had spoken in the name of the Lord. Now Ornan turned and saw the angel and his four sons who were with him hid themselves, but Ornan continued threshing wheat. Now say something wrong. Now Ornan turned and saw the angel and his four sons who were with him, with him, hid themselves. The boys ran, but Ornan continued threshing wheat. I got to stop there because this is funny. Okay, so they're threshing wheat, right? Which is just, you got a big stone, and there's usually a guy standing, and, um, you know, they're, they're grinding out and separating the, the, the wheat and chaff. The young men see the angel of the Lord, and they take off running. Okay, they're young and strong, and Ornan sees death. The angel of the Lord, it actually says he has a sword drawn, like he's about to smite. He's do some smiting, all right? And what does he do? This is hilarious to me. He just goes back to threshing wheat. He's like the old guy. The kids all take off running. Well, I put my hand in the hand of the Lord. I may die here, but I just keep doing what I'm doing. He just keeps threshing wheat. That's hilarious to me. Everybody's freaking out because the angel of the Lord is like, I'll die or live. That's it. I'll do it right here. Here we go. Come on, Sally. Hitting the ox or the mule, getting them going. Let's just keep doing it. I just see this picture of this old Western guy. No, he wasn't Western. It's Israel. Well, all right. Just see what happens. We'll see what we'll see. That's just the way my mind works. You see why I love the Bible so much? I get into like these movie modes. I get all excited. I'm like, oh, yeah, that must have been what happened. He just keeps threshing wheat, even though there's an angel Lord with his, so, with his uh, sword drawn. Verse 21. So David came to Ornan, and Ornan looked and saw David, and, when, and he went out from the threshing floor and bowed before David with his face to the ground. Then David said to Ornan, Greet gr- uh, Grant me the place of this threshing floor, because this is by the hand of the Lord, right? Prophetically, Gad says, you're going to go to that place right over there. 
and you're going to sacrifice. So David's obeying. Grant me this place of this threshing floor that I may build an altar on it to the Lord. You shall grant it to me at the full price that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. But Ornan said to David, Take it to yourself and let my lord the king do what is good in his eyes. Look, I also give you the oxen for the burnt offering, the threshing instruments for wood, and the wheat for the grain offering. I give it all. Whoa. Then King David said to Ornan, No, but I will surely buy it for the full price, for I will not take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings with that which costs me nothing. So David gave Ornan 600 shekels of gold by weight for the place, and David built there an altar to the Lord and, and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and called on the name of the Lord. And he answered him from heaven by fire on the altar of burnt offering. So the Lord commanded the angel, and he returned his sword to the sheath. At that time... When David saw that the Lord had answered him on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite, he sacrificed there. Well, how does this have implications all the way into Revelation and all of this put, to, put together? How does this work? Well, we need to know if we're going to move forward in our life. The beautiful, wonderful treasures right here. You've got some notes. Let's look at the Word of God here because I want to move forward. I want to be a man like David, like David was. Let's look at that, and I know you do too. Verse 18, therefore the angel Lord commanded Gad to say to David, go erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. So we have to see the whole picture. The death angels already come, 70,000 are dead. It's not over though, because now the angel's standing at Jerusalem, the capital city. That's the highest population too. All of them are right there. And Right before this verse, David has fallen on his knees, ripped his clothes in sackcloth and ashes. The leaders have also. And when the, de when the angel arrives in Jerusalem, what's the picture? When he steps forward with his hand, drawn, with his hand on the sword, ready for the plague, operating under the authority of God Almighty, he stands there like this and he looks. And who's there? David, the leaders. And what kind of position are they in? They are on the ground. The king is on the ground. He knows that no special guard, no military, nothing can stop this. Only one thing. Only one thing can stop this. Only one thing can be powerful enough to stop a plague. Number one on your notes. Repentance can restore, oh, about anything. You want to have a life of power? You want to have a life that is greater than your mess-ups and your sins and your pride and vainglory? When God comes, let Him find us broken on our knees before the living God, saying, I will live in His mercy. If you look a few verses of four, in fact, David threw himself on the mercy of God. He said, I'm not going to let my enemies, they're, they're not as merciful. I'm going to throw myself on the mercy of God. And when death comes, when trouble comes, David is on his knees. I tell you, we all deal with things in life. There is nothing more powerful 
than a heart, a culture, a family, a marriage that has a humble, repentant heart. Let me tell you about David. He made some mess-ups, didn't he? Come on. We know. Look, David's mess-ups are so clear. He writes an entire psalm about his adulterous affair and says, I want you to put this right in the middle of the book of the Bible, right in the worship. Asaph's like, um, you sure you want this kind of mess up in your life? Like, you know, they're going to sing this in church and stuff. You want everybody to know about this? Yes. I want everyone to know that the overwhelming grace of God came into my life when I humbled myself and got on my knees and repented. That is why David was so powerful. Because he always had an ace in the hole. He always had a trump card. Because he was a man of repentance, wasn't he? Yes, he was. You want to always have a way of escape? Always know that God's got your back? You just have a humble heart. Say, God, if I mess up, I'll repent. God, I'm a, it's not a one-time thing, too. Isn't it kind of a lifestyle, right? We just live a humble lifestyle. Look, I'm married. Dude, I got to repent all the time. <laughs> I got kids, too. Come on, it's just... I like all the time, like I don't can't remember a day I didn't have to say sorry about something. At least once. At least. Not in a, a patronistic way. I had to. I was wrong. I messed it up. Did it wrong. Repentance is a powerful, powerful thing. We live in that power of repentance. It's a wonderful thing. It's a powerful thing. First Chronicles, let's look at the picture when that angel got there, what it was. First Chronicles 21, 16, 17. This is what we looked at last week briefly. Then David lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord. We're going backward in time now from what we just read. Standing between earth and heaven, having in his hand a drawn sword stretched out on Jerusalem, over Jerusalem. The city he loved, his people, his family. His family, his children. Innocent, vulnerable little kids. We see the picture now. So David and the elders, what did they do? Clothed in sackcloth, fell on their faces. And David said to God, was it not I who commanded the people to be numbered? And I'm the one. This is on me. He took full repentance and full responsibility for this thing. And that is how you move forward in life. That should be paradoxical. Wait, I get down on my knees to go forward? Absolutely. Christians, we live a paradoxical life. We live, a, it seems to be contradictory, right? That's what a paradox is. Seems to be contradictory, but in fact, it is a truth statement. I'm going to get down on my knees to go forward? Absolutely. And there's no other way, right? Amen. That's it. Got a call this week from one of our members saying, had a little miracle in my life. I said, well, tell me about it. I said, well, that's great. He said, you know, I'd really love to share that if you, if you allow me to. I said, all right, we'll come and tell, tell them what God did. Babe, hand me that mic right there. I know the, that, that 10 minutes of preaching was so good. You have more notes. Like you were just feverishly writing. You're so caught up in it. <laughs> Josh, come here. Josh uh, has, uh, is from a Cajun from Acadiana, grew up in a devout Catholic family, staunch Catholic. Josh is not Catholic anymore. You can imagine the schisms that makes in a family, and specifically with his father. But this week he called me and said, Stephen, I'm just going to tell you a little miracle 
that happened between me and my father. Yeah, um, I've been through quite a bit um, since I was a young, young boy. My dad um, just, um, I had loving fam uh, loving parents, but I mean, the role of a father is pretty critical, and my dad had, I guess, kind of cut me down a bit, and um, I had a lot of mental and verbal abuse. Um, I mean, I felt love from him too, but there was a lot of things that kind of crippled me, and um, through the course of my life, I've, um, it's really hurt me and done a lot of things, and I've been through mental extremities for over two decades of suicide, anxiety, depression, and um, I'm, I'm an extreme miracle many times over. Uh, the fact that I'm still here. And God has done a lot of work in me, but trying to forgive my dad and uh, has been something I've been having a hard time with for a long time. And um, I've been, had, went through counseling and uh, a lot of different things just where I would point at him for all my, my pain in my life. And uh, I just, I wanted to forgive him so bad. And I love my dad, but it's like there was just, there was always this tension, this burden. We tried to have a relationship and it's been separated many times. And just a lot of intense pain. But anyway, I had been trying to figure out how to forgive my dad. And it's like, God, I, I can't just make myself forgive. I'm trying, but it's like I have these emotions. I have all this stuff. And uh, last year, Pastor Stephen uh, had a couple of sermons on thankfulness. And uh, that, that like, it was something that hit me really, really hard. And um, it was uh, at the end of last year, I just, God spurred something in me to uh, start texting just random people, especially people that it was hard to text, that I'm very thankful for you and I love you. And um, and uh, the responses that I got were um, extremely impacting to me. And um, that message has stuck with me for uh, for a while now. And I'm, I've been learning to try. If you, you tell somebody you're thankful for them and you're not sure what you're thankful for, it, it makes you... Uh, Try to th find something to be thankful for, and it'll change your life. You know, the repentance, I couldn't just figure it out. Well, whenever I learned how to be thankful for my dad, um, things started to change. And then last week, we had a situation with some texting with my sister and brothers that are kind of were dealing with each other in a certain way. And anyway, my dad, it was affecting him, so I got to reach out to my dad, and we connected on a level. And then I finally told him, I said, Dad, look, whatever's in the past, is in the past, and I love you. And um, well, again, this week, um, I went, my mom was sick, so I went to bring her some stuff, and I went to see my dad in his shop, and we had another talk, and I could see his heart in that, and God just, this was the breaking point for me, and I finally just, I, I told him again, and it hit like crazy, and me being thankful for my dad, I was able, I'm, I completely forgive him now, and I'm, I'm free. Like, after over two decades of pain and intense, you know, just struggling for my life, um, so I, we're talking about repentance here, and I've, I've had to repent from struggling with grudges and, and, not, and unforgiveness toward my dad for so long. And uh, if you want to be free, and you know, I've discovered that thankfulness is not only a way to demand relationships, but when you lose someone or just so many different aspects of your life, when you become thankful, it'll, it'll change your vision and you'll, you'll have peace. And uh, so I challenge you all to, to go reach out, especially those who it's hard to be thankful for, and reach out and, and tell them that you're thankful for them and that you love them. So I just I wanted to share that with you all, and praise God. So. And just, great job. And just so you had talked to your dad in person, you told me, and that was at his shop, and you just felt.
Man, I'm I'm free. I just this broke after letting those grudges and that repentance go. Yeah, and I've never had that feeling before, but it's like now I know it's done. Amen. Come on. Come on now. Almost two decades. What do I do? I'm going to repent. I'm going to get in sackcloth and ashes. That was the power that David functioned under. Come on, we have that. Come on, we have it. All right. Let's keep looking at this. So that's where it is. In that repentance, the Lord speaks to Gad and says, Go and give direction to David. He's lost in his life. He's scared. There's death all around him. You go and give direction to David. Gad comes in and says, Go to the Jebusite. Go to the what? Go to the Jebusite on the threshing floor. What? But he doesn't question God. God talks God, and David says, I don't care if I don't understand all of it. I will. I just trust him, and I obey. David had come long and far enough in life to know that he was going to obey God. So he takes off to the threshing floor where boys are running, and a man's, (laughs) he's just, he's doing his job. He's doing his job. Here we go, verse 24. It's on your notes also. Then King David came to, uh, King David said to Ornan, No, but I will surely buy it for the full price, for I will not take what I will not take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings with that which costs me nothing. Look, the king's coming in. Just give it to him. It's not a flattery thing with Ornan. He knows death is in the key. You don't have to be. Ornan knows what's going on. He's an old guy. He's not dumb. There's death everywhere. I'll do whatever it takes with you, David. We'll do it. Well, let's fix this thing. I'm with you. How do we fix it? You can have it all. David goes, no, no. Absolutely not. Because God told me to come here, and this is my sin and my mess up. Right? If Ornan gives it to David, it's not David's sacrifice. It's a Jebusite sacrifice. It's got to be the king's. Nobody can save Israel but the king. Nobody saves you but the king. Right? No person, no Jebusite, they can't do it. They got a right heart. They want to help you. Good. But nobody saves but the king. His name is Jesus. Come on. And David knew that. And David set forward, I'm not only going to pay this. I don't want a deal. I want to pay full price. Now, this is hard for me. I'm going to tell you right now. I like a good deal. Come on. <laughs> Costco and on clearance. Show me the 9-7. Y'all know that, right? If it says 99 at Costco, that's a normal price. But if it says 97 cents, that's on clearance. Get that stuff. <laughs> he says, nope, no, no. Number two in your notes. Integrity is the offering God is looking for. Unbending, he will not yield. He's going to pay full price. I'm going to tell you, it is integrity is the sacrifice, especially in this day and age, that God is looking for, that God will bless, that God answers. You bring him an offering of integrity, you're going to hear the voice of the Lord. You're going to see God move in your life. Integrity is the sacrifice God is looking for. David said it over and over throughout the psalm. I'm just going to read Psalm 26 to you. This We're going to read 1 and then 11, the way he starts the psalm off and the way he ends the psalm. 
Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. I have done everything I, I can possibly do to live with integrity. And then I just grab a hold of you and you're going to have to do everything else, Lord. Look the way he ends it in verse 11. But as for me, I will walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be merciful to me. Full price. He pays a short price, David does, of 20 shekels of silver just for the oxen and wood and, and the grain. Then he comes back and you're reading the, uh, the 600 shekels because that's for the whole kitten caboodle. He's going to buy this whole area. This whole threshing floor in the land, which is not just like as big as this room. It's acres and acres and acres. Integrity is definitely the offering God is looking for. Last year, I went to uh, uh, do Let Go app, and there was a mattress. It had not been used. Someone was selling. Ben needed a new mattress. So I was like, hey, run with me, Ben. We're going to grab a mattress. 80 bucks. Uh, brand new. They had never used it. It didn't work for them, whatever. I get there. I'm like, 80 bucks. That's a good deal, but I can do it. I, we can do better. I said, hey, will you take 70 for that? The guy goes, he kind of rolls his eyes, and uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. I just need it. My son can't use it, and I'll get rid of it. Load the mattress up. I'm pulling out. I pull out of his driveway, and I'm turning, and Ben goes, why do you have that $10? He's in the back of the truck. He says, why do you have that $10? He said, well, it was 80 but Daddy got it for 70 Yeah, that's right. My $10. You want to go to Chick-fil-A? We're close to it. Yeah, that's right. And when he said, but I thought it was 80, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and convicted me. Now, I've had to change. This is like I have to change the way I kind of function in life because I'm a best deal guy. Now, look, if it's on clearance at Walmart, good. It's on clearance. Get it. But the Lord said 80 was a fair price, and you know it was. I turned my truck around. I went back. I knocked on the door. They were really worried because they thought I was going to try to give it back. I said, I'm sorry. I said, I'm a Christian. And 80 was a fair price. It was right. It was fair. 80 was a good deal. That's what he was asking for. It. I said, I'm sorry. I pushed the envelope on that. I said, here's your $10. They said, well, we're Christians too. This was a Sunday after church. We just got back from uh, East Bayou. That's where we go to church. I said, oh. Lord, let me not lose my integrity for $10. Let me not sell a birthright for a bowl of beans. Amen? Come on, people. Let's be people of integrity. God's looking. The eyes of the, the, the earth, they roam to and fro, looking who he can strengthen, whose heart is wholly his. And David says, I will not operate outside of integrity in this thing. All right, let's keep going here. Verse 26. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and called on the name of the Lord. We have to stop there. He's got the cattle of Ornan. He's got yokes. He's got grain. He broke it up. He made a big old barbecue. Burnt offerings. That was an offering of repentance. I'm sinful, I'm not holy, you're holy, I've messed all this up. Here is a sweet aroma to you. I paid full price for it. I've given you my best. That's the principle, right? We bring him our best. He gave us our best, we bring him our best. Here it is, Lord. 
And then a peace offering. It wasn't enough for David to be forgiven. A peace offering is a restoration of relationship. It is, are we and you, are we good? It's not enough for me to forgive him, to be forgiven, to do a burn offering. That's for repent. That's, that's to get me clean. That's not enough. I have to be in right relationship with you, God. I got, I, I, me and you, we got to be together again. I can't just say, thank you for the car wash and leave. I got to be right. There's the heart of God. There's the heart of God. I'm the heart of David. Okay, now we got to keep reading. And he, God, answered him from heaven. Now, this is a big deal. We don't see this much in the Bible. A few times, but not very often. How did he answer him? Whoa. God, that's a bit of an overkill there. By fire. By fire. You're telling me it's like an Elijah moment? It's only a few times in heaven when God answers by fire. That he's got this, all he does a burn offering, he does a peace offering, and there is a heavenly body that comes down physically and burns up that thing? A holiness that touches that impure common thing? So what are our ingredients again? What do we got? We got, a, we got some barbecue. got some grain. What else do we have? What's in our ingredients? What is it? In this altar? We got a, a burn offering. What did, what did he use to make it? We got some wood, don't we? We got wood. That's pretty, that's common. Some cows, some grains, some wood, probably some dead hay to start the fire, right? It's common. Let me tell you about common. I'm walking for a reason. That's common. That's nothing. It's just wood. But, when the Lord touches the common, when God is at the place where the common is, this common is common no more. This is just flesh and blood. But when God touches it, come on now. When he touches it, it is common no more. The altar that David erected in faith with common materials. There's no gold. There's no silver. God answers it by power and by fire. That's a thing of what? Purification, isn't it? Purifying it, saying this is now a holy place. This is a holy place. Number three on your notes. Simple becomes supernatural after God touches it. Mm -hmm. When God touches a simple relationship, a simple person, simple no more. Amen? We need God in our life. God is the only one who takes a little building and an office strip center and makes it supernatural who takes your job and your vocation that you're doing and your parenting and your mothering and what you're doing, the simple things. Come on, you got a lot of simple in your life? I got a lot of simple. I had to fix a fence all day, all weekend. Gosh, I'm bad at building fences. That's what I learned. 
My God, you're going to have to help this thing. The simple becomes supernatural when God touches it. Look at this picture right here. This is simple. This is what it would have looked like. You see that threshing floor right there? There's some hay. They stand on a piece of wood like that. That's all it is, just a threshing floor. Big rock, while it would have been limestone or something. Some other pictures there. All right, what is that other stuff there? Hmm. It kind of looks familiar. I saw that in history or CNN or Fox News. I saw that somewhere. Looks familiar there. Hmm, that big rock. Some of you may have even been there. Hmm. Let's keep going. We'll get there. We'll get back to that picture. Let's keep going. Verse 28. Verse 28. At that time when David saw that the Lord had answered him, he did the burnt offering and the peace offering, fire has come down. I mean, God encounter. Israel's getting ready to be able to move forward in life. Because they've been stuck. In fact, they've been going backward. People have been dying. At that time, when David saw that the angel Lord had answered him on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, he got up, he went and did a steak dinner. So what I would have done? Let's throw a party. Oh, thank you, Lord. That's not what the next three words say, does it? No. Mm -mm. He sacrificed there. He already did the oxen. He paid full price for them. I mean, I would have got the discount, you know. I'll go get the super pack at Super One. I have gone through every grocery store. In the- <laughs> I got the super pack with the dollar discount. He sacrificed there. There's more offerings than the burnt offering. That's a good one for repentance. There's peace offerings. There's grain offerings. There's also something called a wave offering. There's also something called a, oh God, I don't deserve this. I shouldn't be here. I should be dead in my sins and trespasses. But, oh God, but you did. So I'm just going to lift my hands and I'm going to say, oh God, oh God, I've got to do this. I've got to praise you. I have to thank you. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh Uh-huh. Number four on your notes. God's plans are designed to bring us, to bring you, to bring all of us to one place. Come on. Your life is being moved by the Word of God and the Spirit of God, and it's designed to bring you. He sacrificed there. Come on. That's it right there, huh? To a place of worship. To bring you to a place of worship is his grand design. Oh, that he could take this mess that David had got himself and his people in. And he could use it for his kingdom and his glory. This mess, this pickle, this vinegar-filled jar. And he could use it for his glory. Oh, not just David's glory. Not just Israel's glory. We got to keep going throughout time we got to keep moving here. Y'all know what that picture was. Go to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, 14, and 15 says, For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Oh, yes, we do. 
Therefore, by him, Jesus, let us continually offer the what? The sacrifice of praise. That is a specific Old Testament word picture. When the people, in, right after Jesus' day, when this was written, when they read that, that whole altar picture comes into their head vividly. Oh, the sacrifice of praise to the Lord. Continually offering the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Oh, how he brought Israel to a place so they could worship. Oh, how he brings every Christ follower to a place of worship. Even if they started it in a pickle, he's going to bring you your marriage, your life, your whatever you're dealing with. He will bring you to a place where you throw up your hands and say, Oh God, this is too great what you have done for me. All right. Now we've got to go a few, go back to our text. Go back to our text there in First Chronicles. The picture in our mind is David worshiping. If you keep reading, you know that Moses' temple, the movable one, excuse me, the tent is what it was, was somewhere else. Far away in Gibeon, on the mountains there. David couldn't go there anymore because the angel of the Lord was there. He's afraid. That's what the Bible says. There's a lot of debate on that, but bottom line is the angel of the Lord was there and he was afraid. First <laughs> Chronicles 22.1. So we can get to our last point. Then David said, First Chronicles 22, verse 1. Then David said, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. So David commanded to gather the aliens who were in the land of Israel. Wait a minute. Wasn't Ornano, what you call it, one of those sites? I tell you, I know who was in that group. I know who was honored to be in that group. And appointed masons to cut huge stones to do what? To build the what? The house of God. Oh, wait, the, the temple? That big thing where the Shekinah glory came down that Solomon built? And then was broken again and then rebuilt again in Rome's time? And then that gold dome was put on top of that, but they still got the big stone? And then Revelation 19 says, oh, that same place that he'll rule and reign from? You're telling me that world history is involved in right here in 1 Chronicles 21? Whoa. Let me tell you about the Word of God. This thing is the most alive physical object you'll ever hold on this planet. It is the most powerful, alive thing you will ever touch on this planet. All of world history, you can see, is directed, is somewhat controlled, you could say, is veered by the invisible, infallible will of God right here. Right here. Lastly, on your notes. David did something. 
And I realized something in my personal life when I read this. That's what's so great about the word of God. The Lord had actually answered a prayer for him. And I want to read a scripture from Psalms first before we do um, number five on your notes. Psalm 132. Psalm 132. The Song of Ascents. They're going up. No matter where you were, Jerusalem, even if you were high in Jerusalem, you're going up to Jerusalem to worship God. You're going to the temple. Lord, remember David and all his afflictions. Okay, he didn't have a great life sometimes. All his afflictions. How he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Whoa, whoa, a vow? Swearing to God like a, an, an oath? The strongest kind of thing he can do. I'm swearing, I'm making an oath before God. I'm vowing to the mighty one of Jacob. Okay, I'm going to listen to this, right? You know, people go to weddings. People make some serious vows there, right? That's why they go. It's a real deal. It's not just the first date. Making some vows. So what's, okay, let's see what this vow is. Surely I will not go into the chamber of my house. We're not going to go home after work? Or go up to the, comfortable, the comfort of my bed. Dude, you're not even going to sleep. Get some rest, man. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids. This is a serious vow. Wow, David. Whoo. What's this about? Until what? Until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. This is David's cry. It has been. My question for this, and this is be have to be in heaven. How long had David been praying this prayer? This is, is this a prayer of David? This is a David. This came out of the words of David. Somebody's writing down what David's been praying. How long had been he been asking God, where do I build it? Where do I do it? How, where, when, and why? How long had he been praying that? How long? Faithfully on his knees saying, God, what do I do? How do I do this? And in the worst, most pickled time of his life, God's going to do a miracle in David's life and in Israel's life. Now we got to go back to number five on your notes. I didn't forget. Go back to number five. I wrote it here. Don't forget number five. Because if I leave a blank, I'm going to get bad looks from y'all. Y'all love me, but y'all give me a bad look like filling that blank. Number five. Build your ministry in the place God has shown you mercy. I thought about that. I was like, wow. the place that God showed him the greatest mercy in his life, right? Saving Israel in this horrible plague, in his sin, he decides right there, I know this is where God wants his temple. I know this is the place where thousands will sacrifice, where people will come to the presence of the Lord, where people will worship, where people will be forgiven of their sins. And, And long after he's gone, in fact, where the Shekinah, Right? The cloud of glory is going to come down right there. Right there. A little personal testimony for me as we close up and in this. I was thinking about this verse, and I was thinking, hmm. You know, I do what God tells me to do. I told him when I was 18, Lord, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. That'll be my ace in the hole. If you tell me to do it, I'm going to do it. 
That's what I got, obedience. The Lord says move, move. The Lord says go to school, go to school. Doesn't matter, do, do whatever. It's worked for over 20 years. Oh, his grace, his grace, his faithfulness, his goodness. Oh, my wonderful wife and family. And it just all day I could talk about his faithfulness to me and why it's just his grace. But we moved here, you know, from Colorado. I'm from here, y'all know this, and moved here. And there was a lot of, all right, Lord, I obey. I, I don't really know specifically why you want me to be back in Acadiana and here and on this side of town and all this. There's just a lot of questions, right? When God tells you to do something, it's a lamp into your feet. It's not the spotlight, right? That's a biblical picture. So I was reading this, and I started to think. I started to think about when I could mark the time in my life when I saw the hand of God move on me, and I felt His grace and mercy. When I began to hear His voice, when I, I knew Jesus as a, my Lord and Savior at six years old. But when I began to hear his voice, when I began to be free of sin and insecurity and fear and doubt, when I began to surrender and know this is God's plans and purposes for my life, guess where all that mercy happened? Right here in good old Acadiana. Now that matters for a reason. Because I've been on five continents and close to 20 countries. I've lived in four states. But here is where I felt for the first time, like as a young man, as a teenager, the mercy of God. The presence of God, right? And I thought, oh, that's maybe one of the reasons. You see, you obey, and you take a step, and the Lord says, here's a piece of the puzzle. And you do another step, and he says, here's a piece of the puzzle. And you do another step, and he goes, here's another piece. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in small. Now I'll give you more and more. Now, the problem is, you probably get on your deathbed, and you sit up, and you go, oh, I understand it all. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's what's going to happen. You won't care because then you're in heaven the next blink of the eye. But that's the way it works. <gasps> Crap. <laughs> Let's stand up. <laughs> All this to get David to worship. All this to show him God's overwhelming mercy. All this to let him operate in integrity, to bring him to a place of repentance, to show him how a simple, unclean thing, like a Jebusite, Jebusite threshing floor, is holy when he touches it. Huh? Come on. Let's see the celebration here. In, uh, what is it? 2 Chronicles 3.1. Here. David's dead and gone. Now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. Wait a minute. Now if I think about history, wait, wasn't that where Abraham offered Isaac? Wait a minute. Where the Lord had appeared to his father David at the, at the place that David had prepared 
for the threshing floor. Wait, there it is. There it is. You go throughout history, it's right around Calvary too. If you know anything about the way God works, it's probably the exact same spot. I mean the same spot. Come on, let's come to him. Come on, we've got a few minutes. Let's come to Jesus. What are you dealing with? What pickle are you in? What you've been soaking in? What vinegar have you been soaking in? It couldn't have been worse than David's mess. I'm going to tell you, God takes that mess. He says, I'll build an altar. With that altar, I'll build a temple. With that temple, I'll bring a savior. And the cross of Jesus Christ, that common thing of wood, will be salvation to the world and freedom. Amen? Come on, you better praise him for that. You better praise him. If you don't praise him for that, you don't know him. Now, you can know him today. You can know him today. A few minutes with Jesus. Come on. We're going to worship him. Come on, we're going to worship him. Come on, get with him. Think about time and history. His goodness. You're not asking for something you can do. David did not try to fix this in his ability. Even though he was king and had issues. You find him on his knees. You find him obeying the voice of the Lord to go to a, a Jebusite's threshing floor. He said, I'm just going to submit and obey. You do the rest, God. Come on. That's what we're doing today. That's what you're doing in your life in 2019. Well, that's what you're doing. There's the recipe for supernatural power right there. Come on. Pray. Worship. Talk to Him. Whatever you need to do. that you need it. 
that you need them to change. You got things that you've been in a pickle and issues that you've been dealing with. God of heaven, consume and answer by fire, Lord. Holy Spirit, move in our lives, in our situations. Answer, Lord, no less than fire, God. Answer supernaturally. Lord, it looks so lost. It looks so undone. There's no way to do it. God, you answer by fire. Lord, I thank you that you would move supernaturally in people's lives. You're doing it, Lord. Lord, we're not just praying some maybe. We're praying the, the will of God that you would move in people's lives. Oh, thank you, God. You're moving supernaturally in every situation that every one of these people are bringing to you. Every concern, every care, big and small, Lord, moving right now by the Spirit of the Lord. Oh, we thank you for it, God. And we will lift our hands. And we will wave to you and say, oh God, we worship you. We worship you. We worship you. So much of life is found in this entire chapter. Maybe you're at a point where it feels more like satin cloth and ashes. You haven't heard and felt the fire of God. You just stay on your knees and you will see the power of God in your life. You stay right there on that threshing floor where God told you to be. No matter what it stinks like or looks like, it's where he puts you. If he told you to go to the threshing floor, you get on that threshing floor. You don't leave. And he will come and answer. He's the God who answers by fire. And it will be so great and glorious. You, when you're dead and gone, people will be talking about it. Oh, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Come on, let's just lift our hands and surrender as we close today. Lord, we give you our lives. Give us the spirit of David. Give us the faith of David, Lord. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you. It breathes yet again. It breathes yet again in us, Lord. It lifts us up. It encourages us. It speaks to us. It convicts us. It writes us in the right path and direction, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, for it. Oh, Lord, let it become mighty in our life. Lord, let the culture we have in our life and the culture of the Word of God be so powerful, it changes everything around it. Thank you, Lord, that you're doing that. Oh, yes, Lord. In the name above all names, the name that was at the Mount Moriah, the name that was at the threshing floor, the name that was at the temple when the Shekinah glory fell, the name that hung on the cross and His precious, sinless, spotless blood fell and cleanse us, Lord. The name where he'll return and rule and reign. His name is Jesus. We serve him. We love him. We thank you, Lord. It's in your name we've asked, we've prayed. Oh, yes, Lord, the name above all names. And everyone said, amen and amen. Now praise that name one last time. Come on, praise the name above all names. Oh, yes. Praise him, praise him, praise him. God bless you. Have a great day. If you need something, someone will be up here for prayer. God bless you.